Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizard of the Coast. This content is covered under 2017 Wizard of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we will continue with chapter 18 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. There were other discussions, some less volatile and a few that had the three of them storming off in different directions. But in the end, Ratepe and Zansha fell in with Urza's plan to broadcast the screaming spiders. Ratepe named them. Throughout Old Tessier and anywhere else that Urza and Zansha might sniff a Fraxian in the air. They had about three seasons to get the spiders arrayed on dusty walls and seasons. By Urza's calculation, the glimmer mood would strike its zenith above Old Tessier a few days short of the next year's Midsummer's Eve. Sancha had little time for visiting unfamiliar places or searching out new Frexian infestations. The wind streams weren't fast enough. Urza walked her to realms where glistening oil tainted the air. Then he left with a niche uh, or cache of spiders. When he walked on with several thousand more, Nine days later, he'd examined her glowing ember heart, find her, and take her back to the college where Vitepe waited for them. In a compromise between delusion and practicality, Urza had decided his brother's talent were uniquely suited to constructing spiders. Vitepe hadn't tried to argue his way out of the responsibility, but Urza's instructions were clear, and aside from charging the white mag crystals, making the small artifacts was more tedious than difficult. Every nine days when they were together at the cottage, Urza banished Ratepe and Zancha from his workroom while he grew and charged the crystals. Summer ended. Autumn vanished. Winter came. All without interrupting their cycles. Not that you could do it, Urza said. The same words every time he and Zancha returned as they were writing on the instructions he'd give Ratepe. But you've been all, all alone all this time, and Zancha likes talking to you. And I've got another idea, or two I'd like to tinker with. I can make them better, make them louder, wider, more powerful. So you two go on. Let me work. Go next door. Talk. Eat. Do as you like. I'll be busy here until tomorrow night. He's as mad as ever, Zanta said, as Ratepe put her weight against the workroom door, cranking the late winter ice that had sealed it since Urza and Zancha had left nine days earlier. He was mad long before the real Mishra died, Ratepe said lightly and forgetting his nonchalance as he lost his footing on the slick wood. You don't really think anything was going to change that, did you? Like Urza, the two of them had fallen into habits and scripts, at least until they lit the old oil lamp and the brazier and warmed the blankets of Zancha's old bed. They seldom talked much or ate after that, until the lamp needed replenishing. I want a favor from you, Ratepe said, while Zancha relit the lamp with a coal from the brazier. Zancha looked up silently. It's getting on towards a year. She was, she'd been expecting that. Winter lingered on the ridge. It was spring in the lowlands, a bit more than two months shy of the year she'd asked over Tepe and Midrand. She and Urza were three quarters through the workroom maps, but the chances of finishing the job before midsummer were nil, and if her Pepe demanded the freedom she'd sworn to him. No. You want to go back to Efren Picar? A statement, not a question. She made tea from the steaming water top the brazier. No. 
I can count as well as you. Better, usually. Urza needs me here until midsummer, at least. I have my doubts. So do you. But nobody knows what will happen next. We agreed to take the risks. So what's the favor? I want you to go back to Efru and Picard. Me? Everywhere else the Frexians are all sleepers. Everywhere. Except Bazarat and Mulverin. And they keep fighting each other with or without Frexian meddling. But I'm worried about Efren Pukar and the Shrada. We never went back, she interrupted. I did. I plastered the walls of Medran and seven other towns while Urza did Pinkar City. You said Midsummer's the biggest holy day of Avahur's year and everybody goes to the temples. So I put a few spires in the sanctums, just in case. But I didn't smell anything suspicious. My guess is that the Red Stripes wiped out the Shrada years ago. Maybe they had Frexian help, maybe not. It's history now. I figured that. And that's why I want a favor. I've tinkered with the spiders, studied the changes changes Urza made since last summer, even made a few of my own and tested them too. Sancho raised her eyes just as she straightened the teeth. It's not like you didn't experiment with a cyst after Urza gave it to you, Matepe retorted. Sancho did not decide not to pursue the argument. Urza doesn't count the crystals. I think he expects me to damage a few. And anyway, we know the crystals work. It's the other part that I modified. You're not trying them out on me, she slammed the string bowl down on Tim for emphasis. No, they're not like that. But I did change the sound they make. The way Urza had them set, the sound makes things boil. But I did make things solid, like rocks. Especially motor break down into sand and dust. I want you to plant my foundations in the foundation of the Red Stripe Barracks and under the high altar of Averhir's Temple in Pinkar City. When a glimmering moon passes overhead, the sound will rattle the stones until they come apart. It would work, but... Waste not, want not. Why? Even if I could do it, why? Not that I care, personally, but Avatir is your god. Why would you want to turn Avatir's altar into rubble? And the red striped barracks? Both. I want to make a sign for every everyone to see. Whatever strikes down the sleepers, stipes down the shrouded too. And if there's anything left, I don't want some bearded fanatic to take advantage of what we've done. All, all right, the Shroud didn't kill my family, but they drove us out of the city. They burnt the schools and the libraries. If the Fraxons got rid of them, well, that's a mark in their favor, but I don't want to take the chance. Will you do it, Sancha? For me? She followed the steam rising from her table. I'll talk to Urza. Urza can't. Matepe, I'm not wandering out there. I walk out of here with Urza, and any later I walk back with him. What am I supposed to do? Yawn and hightail it up to Ifrin Picard the moment he sets me down and hightail it back? That's what I thought you'd do. When he asked about the spiders I was supposed to be planting, I thought of that. But tell him that you didn't feel right so you didn't spread him around. I learned how to make duds too. If he gets angry, he'll be angry at me for being careless. Wonderful. You'll do it? Let me think about it. Lying to Urza. I can't get angry with him. I can yell at him and keep secrets, but I don't know if I can outlight right to him. <clears throat> But Tepe didn't push. Not that night. But he asked again the next time they were together and alone. If he'd gotten her angry just once, she'd have put the whole cocktail notion behind her. But Tepe was too canny for that. Passionate, yet totally in control. Sancha thought what Kaelin Big Krug would have thought. She wondered whether Kayla would have stood under the stars as she did herself a few visits later and said, We're getting to the end. He's taking me to Rusior tomorrow. It's not infested with sleepers. More important, it's not far from Ephraim Picar. And get down the coast of Pinkar City. Plant your spiders and cover Rissiar too. 
Viatepe lifted Zanja off the ground, and before she had a chance to protest, spun on his, heel, her, his heels, whirling her around three times while he laughed out loud. She was gasping and giddy when her feet shot the ground. I knew you would. He kissed her, a kiss that began in joy and ended in passion as he lifted her again. The next evening, when Urza took her wrist for walking, Sancho asserted that he, he knew she had extra spiders in her sack and deceit in her heart. She couldn't meet his highest in the most ordinary. There's no shame to it, Sancha, Urza said moments later when they stood on the hillside, coast principality of Rusiar. He is a young man, and you prefer your, yourself a woman. I heard you laughing with him last night. I racked my memory, but I don't think I've ever heard you or him so happy. It does my old bones good. After Rusiar, I shall go off and leave you two alone together. Urza vanished then, which was just as well. Sancho needed to breathe and couldn't until he was gone. Urza's bones, she thought with a shudder. Urza doesn't have any bones. She tired herself and yawned out the sphere. The sphere rose swiftly through the ground breeze until the wind streams caught it, and through itself, an abrupt reminder, as if Sancho needed one, that she made mistakes when she had been distracted. She wove her hand through the wind, pushing the sphere to its limits. Dawn's light revealed Efren, Pukar, Efren villages. Morning found her walking the market road into Pinkar City. Sancha had scattered spiders all winter without once breaking a sweat. She was damp and pasty mouthed when a red striped guard asked her particulars at the city gate. She had a mortally unpleasant face, a mortally unpleasant smell. Vatepe, she told him, son of Medea of Medran. Despite anxiety, Sancha's accent was flawless, and the coins of Rezier were common enough among Galbadi's north coast that she could offer a few of her brides if need be. Herefore, I've come to pray before Afrahir's holy book and the fifth anniversary of my father's death. Latepe had said there was no more solemn obligation in an Ephraim's son life. No born red stripe would question it, and no fraction would last long if it did. Peace go with you, the red stripe said, and touched Sancha both cheeks, a gesture which Latepe had warned her to expect. May your burdens be lifted. Sancha went through the gate in peace, her burdens hung from her shoulders, exactly as she packed them. She knew where the garrison barracks were, and that they'd be swamped with wet stripes most of the day. That left the temple, which might be just as busy, but open to anyone who needed Avrohir's grace. Matebe had taught her the necessary prayers, when and where to wash her hands, and not to jump if advice sprinkled seawater in her head while she was on her knees. Three thousand years, more worlds than she could count, and always, always an outsider. The square altar was as tall as a man, and stood on a stairway dais that was almost as high. Sancha could barely see the holy book laid atop it, although it was the largest book ever she'd seen, bigger than her head. A huge cloth of red velvet covered the altar from book to dais. As Sancha watched from the book of the sanctum, an old man climbed the dais steps to on his knees. At the top, he lifted the velvet over his head and shoulders. He was letting out of her tears dry his tears. She would be affixing with tepe spiders. Sancha climbed the space at the end of the mornaments, Petitioners and cripples shuffling along a marked path to the dais, where a red-robed priest guarded the steps. She was under the great dome, halfway to the altar, when a second priest came to take the place of the first. The second priest also wore red robes with its cowl drawn up. His beard, as black as Tepe's hair, spilled onto his chest. Shraddha, Jetta thought, remembered what Tepe had told her in the burning village. He'd be at his post in a few moments before the air brought her the scent of glistening oil. Sancha tried to get a look within the priest's cowl as her turn on the dais stood nearby. The oil strength was strong, 
but no stronger than it with other sleepers. She didn't expect to see glowing or lidless eyes, and his, its hands, which she tried unnecessarily to avoid, had a fleshy feel around hers. Peace be with you, he said, more sincerely than the guard. Sancho held her breath while he touched her cheeks. May your burdens be lifted. The path was clear, as simple as that. As simple as what Tepe had promised it would be. She hobbled on her knees, like everyone else, raised the velvet drape and flattened an artifact against the dark stone. A second spider on the opposite side would be a good idea. Four would be better. Sancho gazed up into the dome as she left, looking for a sphere-sized escape hole. There are no holes in the roof, but there is one in the wall, an archway into a cloister where a few laymen's in plain clothes appeared to be continuing their prayers. Sancho took the chance and joined them. No one challenged her, and after she bruised her knees a while longer, she yawned out her armors and left the cloister through a different door. The smell of oil was strong in the corridor beyond the cloister, not a great supply. Surprise! She is in the priest's private quarters now. The corridors were poorly ventilated, and under circumstances she'd expect the taint to be thickened. But there was something more. Sancho palmed a handful of screaming spiders from her sack, affixed them to a wall, and pressed deeper into the tangled chamber beyond the sanctuary. The scent grew stronger, more complex. She suspected there was an ambulator nearby, or perhaps one of the vertical discs she'd seen not so long in Moag. We'll call them priests, she reminded herself, although there are no gods in Frexia. Only the ineffable <clears throat> and blind obedience wasn't religion. Midway down a spiral stair, Zancho encountered a priest rushing for a surface. Without a gesture or apology, he shoved her against the spiral spine. She slipped down two treacherously narrow stairways before catching her balance. The sweat of his giving oil was heavy in his wake, but except in rudeness, he hadn't noticed her. In her mind, Zancho heard a tepe muttering, Frexians, no imagination. But Tepe was young. He hid his fears and started to chasm. She put one of her shown spiry spiders on the spire's spine. The stairways ended in a vaulted crypt. Light came from the pair of filthy lanterns and Frexian glows attached haphazardly to the stone ribs overhead. The sight of Frexian artifacts answered a wealth of questions, left her feeling anxious within Urza's armor. Sancha thought again of Moeg and wondered if she shouldn't scurry back to Resier confess her deceit to Urza when he came for her, and let him explore the crypt instead of her. But the truth was that Zancha feared Urza's anger more than she feared Phyrexia. Tiptoeing forward, Zancha slowly apologized to Retepe. The crypt's air was pure, Phyrexian. Not only was she in some sort of passage to Everhood's temper, it was wide open. She might have to tell Urza what she found, after she knew what it was, after she shared her discovery with Retepe with with Mishra. Sancha came to another door, a source of the fretted Frexian breathe. She hesitated. She, she had her armor, a boot knife and a handful of fuming coins, a passive defense, and no offense worth mentioning. Wisdom said this is foolish, but when, then she heard the sound behind her, on the spiral stairs. Wisdom said hide. Street, three steps beyond the door, the corridor jogged sharply to the right and into utter darkness. Zanja put one arm behind her back and figured walked into this unknown. The loudest sound was the push pulsing in her ears. She had a sense that she'd entered the darkest chamber when the breeze died. She had a sense, too, that she wasn't alone. She was right. Meatling. Thirty-four hundred years, give or take a decade, and Zanja knew that 
voice interesting. Gips. Light blossoms around him. Gray, heavy light, such as showed on the first fear. Light that wasn't true, but visible darkness. Sanja thought the demon was a light source. It needed a moment to discern the upright glowing disc behind him. Gix had changed since the last time she'd seen him. Corroded, crumbling, and thrust into a femoral. He'd changed since the first time, too. Taller. She'd looked at his waist when she looked straight ahead. Symmetrical, altogether more man-shaped. Although his metal skin didn't completely hide the glistening sinews and tubes like a bored man's veins, only filled with glistening oil. That wound over his green gold skin. Xixi's forehead was monumental and framed a rubine gem that was almost certainly a weapon. His skull seemed to have pivoted open along his brow ridge. A metal black serrated spike ran from the base of his neck to the now raised bone of his skull. From the side it looked like the spike was rooted in his spine and attached to a blue, red, and yellow fish. In another circumstance the demon would have been ludicrous or absurd, far beneath Avrohir's altar. It was the image of malignity and horror. Sanja stood transfixed at a narrow beam of pl blood-red light shone between her and Gix's bulging forehead. She felt surprise, then a command. Obey. Listen and obey. Never. Urza armor wasn't perfect protection against the demon's invasion of her mind, but added to her stubbornness and to the walls she'd made years, ages ago. Sanja defied the demon. I'll die first. Gix grinned, all glistening and teeth. Your wish. He probed her mind again. Brutally, Sanja fed her images of his excoriation. The demon withdrew suddenly, his metallic shin tucked in a priority of moral surprise. So old. Light sprang up in a portal chamber, a catacomb with desecrated bodies and heat there. All male, all bearded, the Shrata, if not all of them, then at least a hundred of them, and probably their leaders, replaced with Phyrexians, or simply exterminated. Not like as not, she'd never know. Whatever their crime, Zanshin knew the Shroud would have suffered horribly before they died. That would have been to have to suffice for Rat's vengeance. Yes, I remember you, Gix whispered. One of the first, and still here. His metal sheath shoulders jerk. No, not sent. I saved you back. Waiting, waiting. The demon's voice faded. The lady's forehead flickered. Zancha! He made her name long and sibilant like a snake sliding over dried leaves. My special one, here in Dominaria. Before Gix had needed cables and talons to caress Zanja's chin. Now he used light and encountered Urza's armor. What is this? The light bored into her right eye, seeking Zanja's past, her history. Defiantly, she threw out images of Urza's dragon burning through the first fair ceiling. Yes, yes, of course. Locked out of Dominaria. Where else would you go? I gave you purpose, and you pursued it. You pursue it still. The light became softer. It crested on his mind. She shivered within Urza's armor. I'll tell Urza that the demon who destroyed his brother has returned. It was a guess of Zanja's part. Matepe had seen Gix in Mishra's weak stone recordings, but he never said anything about the Phyrexians who undertaken the Phyrexians' compilation. But it was a good guess. Yes, Gix sighed. Tell Urza that Gix have returned. Tell him that the Thran are waiting for him. Gix didn't understand. The Phyrexians had fought the Thran. Her mind shrilled with echoes of Urza's lectures about Koilos and a noble race that sacrificed itself for Domeria's future. Gix laughed. All the raucous birds and chittering insects of the summer couldn't have equaled the sound. Did he tell you that? He knows better. 
he was there. The statement was made no sense. Urzif had found his eyes at Koilos, and through them remembered the final battle between the Thran and the Phyrexians. But he hadn't been there. Gix was toying with her, feeding on her confusion and terror, waiting for her to make the mistake that would let him into secret places. You have no secrets, Sancha, Morlander. I made the stone of the brothers broke, and I made the brothers too, and then I made you. Lies, Sancha shot back, and remember standing between a vat. A body floated below the surface, dark-haired, angular, sexless, her. There are thousands of us, she bought back. Seven thousand, and only one like you. I looked for you, after. After he escaped the seven sphere, I have my own heart. Yes, you have done well, Zanja. Better than I hoped. I had plans for you. I still have them. Come back, obey, and listen. Gix pulled a string in Zanja's mind. She felt herself begin to unravel. Newts had no importance. Newts did what they were told. Newts listened and obeyed. She belonged with Gix. Two Gix. In Phyrexia. Her home. Gix would take care of her. The demon was the center. She would do as she wished. Urza's armor was in the way. Zanchi was about to raise the armor when she thought of Retepe. Suddenly, there was nothing else except his face. Laughing. Scowling. Watching her as she walked across the Medrin Plaza with a purse of gold on her belt. The sensations lasted less than a heartbeat. Then Gix was back. But Zanjit had needed a whole heartbeat to retreat from the demon's folly. She'd been about to commit. So you found him, Gix said after he'd retreated from her mind. Does he please you? The red light continued to shine in her eye. Gix would pull another string, and this time there'd be no Retepe, summoned Medea to surprise the demon. Retepe had given Zanjit a, a second chance, but she had to seize it, and Zanjit did. Diving to her left tour corridor, something hard and heavy struck her to her back. It threw her forward. She skid face first along the floor stone, surrounded by red light, but the armor held. Zanja scrabbled to her feet and ran for her life. Demons weren't accustomed to defiance. They had no reflex response to stop a new step to escape. Gix chased her, but he didn't catch her before she'd reached the spiral staircase. He howled and clawed the stones, but the passageway was too tight, too narrow. A fireball engulfed Zanja in an acid wind. She clung to the spine until it passed then ran again through the corridor in the cloister into Averhir's sanctuary. Night had fallen on the plaza. Zanja wasted no time asking herself where the day had gone. She released the armor, yelled out the sphere as she dared, and head up the coast to Rassior. Thanks for listening to Planeswalker, Chapter 18. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube and on your chosen podcast platform. Thanks for listening.